welcome back to another episode of Friends of the Vine Wine Podcast. So, episode 54. Welcome back. So this episode is with Raf DeLima. Uh, Rafael de Lima is a wine bar owner. He runs a wine bar in Porto, in Portugal. He is also someone who does a ton of consulting, wine consulting. He does a lot of online sessions. And uh, he has a few different clients that he's ran uh, online experiences for in person as well, given the opportunity and hopefully in the near future. And Raf is someone that I met uh, actually through a mutual friend, Nicole, who you guys recall I had on the show. Uh, Nicole Mascari was on uh, quite a few ago now. (laughs) Uh, She lives in New York, and that is... um, uh, Nicole is Grape Chic on Instagram, as you guys know, and a good friend of mine. So I met uh, Raf through her. And uh, started attending some of their, they have, they're having a couple online wine sessions going through different regions and having some chats, Nicole and Raf, and they're calling it kind of Wines by the Fireplace. So they're talking about Sangiovese, they're talking about Burgundy, they're talking about Bordeaux. And so I've, I've joined them for a few and uh, met Raf and we decided to uh, hang out and, uh, and have a chat. So here it is. Let's get right into it. I'm actually drinking Portuguese wine myself tonight. So, what is it? Uh, it is. I'll have to get the bottle. Oh, it's, it's okay. You can send me a picture off there. It's um the. I think the winery is F O Z, like Foz. It's like um, Quinta do Foz. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it's um it's a blend. It's a white uh, white blend. I think it's got about four different grape varieties in there. Yeah, for sure. Like lots of Goveo and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's usually how they roll up there. When I f- refill my glass, I'll, I'll grab the bottle and. Uh, <laughs> so what what have you got going there yourself? So actually, I was gonna grab some wine, and then I just saw a bottle of whiskey we just mm-hmm. opened, and I'm like, you know what? I'll just do some scotch. So I think it's so we just finished the Lagula Vin 16, which is my absolute favorite scotch. And now I just have a black label that was here around the house. So yeah. Lovely. It's funny. I, I always, sometimes I segue it on the show to, into scotch. <laughs> if you like, you know, and I mean, we, I've talked about cocktails. I've talked about scotch, right? Because we went, we went, did a road trip through Scotland, brought back a lot of different, different, um, different things. So it's one of those things. It's, it's a, it's a great, it's a great taste, especially for yourself right now. Like you're, you're at the end of your day, right? It's perfect for something like that. Mm-hmm. Indeed, yeah. indeed. It, it's definitely my go-to whenever I'm not into wine. It's either scotch or if I go to cocktails, I'll go to old fashions. But still, I ask them for an old fashioned with peated scotch. Uh, that smoky peated yes. cat. I, I just love that stuff. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 I'm all about I'm all about the peatiness in my scotch. <laughs> yeah. Love that, and 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 even my wines, like like the grape varieties that I I kind of gravitate towards, are 
have got that smokiness to them, that earthiness to them, right? Like, you know, Syrah and Pinot and, and, you know, um, Sangiovese and, you know, just like all those kind of ones, right. They've got that, those different characteristics, right? So. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Yeah. That's the stuff. I was just thinking because, uh, I was going to bring this wine on Friday for the, um, for the, the class there, the wine class. How did, how did you and Nicole, how, how did you meet Nicole in the first place? Like, how did you get into this idea about doing this online, uh, this online classes and online learning and stuff? Oh, so, so we met Nicole pre-COVID. I love it. Well, I don't love it, but it's interesting how everything is starting to be pre and after COVID. It kind of like, it kind of it looks like it's, it's going to substitute Jesus. It's going to be before and after COVID from now yeah, on. Yeah, right. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, but I actually met her before COVID. So the whole thing happens when, oh, she's on a trip in Portugal with, with her husband, Michael. And she posted about it and she asked her followers like, hey, I'm in Portugal. Like, what do you recommend? Who should I meet? And uh, another fellow WSET student, Kirsty, I, I love her. I, I wish we would spend more time together. She's a lovely human being. And uh, we, we, we met in London with Kirsty, and she tagged me on Nicole's post. And she was like, well, Nicole, you, you have to meet up with Rafa. And so she texted me and she's like, hey, Kirsty told me about you. Would love to meet you. Let's, let's hang out. And it was lovely that that day, or that week, I don't remember specifically, I had one afternoon where I was actually quite free. And I was like, hey, show up with your husband because actually the tastings I do here might be a little bit too basic for you. So show up here with your husband. It will be just the three of us. We'll open nice bottles, the kind of bottles I don't even sell to, to, to customers. It's just for when people show up. And, and we'll have, I'll, I'll show you like four or five great wines of Portugal. Uh, we'll eat some of my homemade smoked ham and we'll chat for a bit. And she came and we hit it off, like both with the heart and with Michael, we would hit it off in like two, two minutes. I was like, that's my kind of people. They love it. They love wine. They keep it non-snobby and easy. It, it's amazing. I loved it. So then, since then we kept in touch all the time. And then, um, Clients that show up at my bar, we do a wine tasting and it's two couples and they are digital nomads and they have a side hustle of all-inclusive traveling. It's, um, it, it's a company called Life Nomading. Uh, Ian and Caroline, they run it. And, um, and Mitko and, uh, oh my God, I'm forgetting the, uh, Mitko's girlfriend name now. Oh my God, oh, I hope she doesn't see this. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, oh, my God, I completely forgot. Okay, but whatever. They come over, they do my wine tasting. They're like, hey, man, so we do these all-inclusive packages. Right now we have Iceland, Bulgaria. They had a few destinations. We would love to add a wine destination mm. for the, um, the, um, the harvest season, like a all-inclusive. They, they come here for a full week. We do like two, three days in Porto, two, three days in the Douro Valley, two, three days in Mansan, which is where I am, and we harvest and everything. And I was like, yeah, okay, let's, let's talk about it. So they came the next day, we set it up and everything. And part of our marketing thing was going to do a wine tasting because they were, they were, they were living in New York. So part of it was uh, to do a wine tasting in New York. So I went, I met them in New York in between two trips to London. 
I was like, oh my God, it's amazing. I have like three, four days in between two trips to London and flights from London to New York are cheap. So I'll go meet you guys for three days and we'll do the tasting one of those days. And Nicole was the first, first one to text me. I was like, hey, if you need any help, let me know. So she posted about it. People started to reach out to her. Long story short, we got wines for free. We got glasses borrowed for free. We got lots of stuff for free. And so we kept in touch with, with Nicole since forever. And during this pandemic part, over a chat, I was like, hey, like, Nicole, I really miss the social side of our job. Because the truth is that even though business is great, it's through a screen. Mm-hmm. And why to be social, and especially at my shop? We, we drink and after that we go for dinner and we go for cocktails and then we go to a friend's wine bar. So I show around. So there's a big social side of my job that I love and I don't have since COVID. So I kind of started to feel the ground. I was like posting on my own, on, on my own Instagram, like, hey guys, would you like something a little bit more social? We would still learn, but it would be a healthy balance of socializing, talking to people, but also learning. And we started to feel some traction. And I was like, hey, Nicole, by the way, I would love to do that with you. Could we like, should we do it together? Because we are from two different worlds. To give you a little bit of background, I'm very much a value kind of, uh, kind of person. And that's what I preach during my tastings. And by value, I don't mean cheap. I mean, if you give me a $300 bottle, that should be a thousand. For me, it's still a good value. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and Nicole is more, is more into fine wines. Now she represents Chateau Pomar. I mean, her wines are like a little bit more premium than what I actually preach. And I was like, hey, I would love for us to do it together because we have actually different points of view on some situations. And we started to do it. But the whole point was, let's have a social thing. I mean, we charge 10 bucks. Well, we've been there. It's like 10 bucks per person. We're charging just to charge somehow. Like it's something that doesn't, I mean, just yesterday I did a tasting for Google. I charged 720 euros for one hour. So I mean that 10 hour, the $10 per person um, for, for, for you guys, it's more of a charging to charge. And maybe at the end of the day, we send a few bottles, but that was the whole point. It was, hey, Nicole, let's do something social because we missed the social side of it and that's how it came up and and it's lovely how we created a group of at least four to six people kind of come every week and it's slowly becoming our own little friend group and and it's and it's amazing it's lovely but that was the whole point having the social side of our job back yeah and i think it's a great it's a great fun little you know and and keeping it small and keep it kind of capping it at 10 people or whatever and kind of keeping it small is, is good as well. And that way everybody kind of gets to have a little input. And, and um, like you said, it's definitely more personable that way. Uh, and I totally get what you're saying with uh, undervalued, not cheap, but undervalued. And cause I, cause at my work, people come up to me all the time and they're like, you, you know, that wine stuff, right? And I'm like, yeah. And, uh, and they're like, they always want to know about values and, and people always want to know a deal. And, so it's always those undervalued regions or underappreciated regions and getting your value for money. Right. And, and I mean, I've talked to other people on, on, on the show before where, or it's, it's, if I can't have this or I want this, but what's the closest facsimile or what's the, what's a similar grape that may be in a, in an unappreciated, unappreciated or underappreciated, not unappreciated, but underappreciated or undervalued region. Right. And finding those good, good buys and good finds. And Portugal fits that category, of course. 
Yes, it is, which is, which is somehow great and a curse at the same time. But definitely, when you think about Portugal, it's going to be very hard for you to have a Portuguese wine and you taste it and you're like, wow, I overpaid for this. It's going to be very rare for you to feel that, indeed. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually, I was just thinking, I, I mentioned to you about a friend of mine, Diogo, who uh, is um, at a winery in, in Portugal. He's the GM of that winery. And, and he, he tells a story about going to Germany and trying to sell you know, sell wine, sell Portuguese wine in Germany, you know, 10 years ago, right? No one knew Portuguese wine. No one knew, no one wanted it. No one, you know what I mean? And now you can go to Germany and they know Portuguese wine. They, you know, he's got great content in uh, the U.S. and in Canada. And, and you know, the global Portuguese wine is, is, is starting to get into all the markets throughout the world where people are recognizing and understanding what, what Portuguese wine is all about. Whereas 10 years ago, Good luck. Yeah, definitely. And, and to be fair, even still now, depending on where you go in the world, they think of port and that's it. And uh, we have 14 wine regions. Only Italy beats us when it comes to indigenous grapes. Uh, in such a small country, for you to have an idea, I live at the very north. When we go to the, uh, to the south in the summer, it takes us six hours and a half to drive from one point to the other. And we have 14 wine regions, over 250 indigenous grapes. So yeah, it's, um, there's still a lot to discover in Portugal. Even Portuguese people don't really know about Portuguese wine. And that, that's what's changed somehow. Because the truth is that, for example, if you go to France, most French people know most wine regions in France. Here in Portugal, you ask them, hey, how many, reg- how many wine regions we have? And they will probably mention four or five out of the 14, which is a little bit alarming. So even our, even our population is not really aware of our own wines. So how can we make it to the export market properly? Yeah, that's a good point. And that's, a, that's an interesting point because that's an old world, old world versus new world, right? Whereas in the new world, okay, perhaps they don't, they don't understand because they're so used to drinking French or Italian or something else. And they don't understand, like for Canada, they don't maybe know about, you know, Niagara and the Okanagan and they don't, they don't, they, you know, they'd rather go old world and just, you know, drink a classic kind of French wine or something and they don't really want to explore. But in somewhere like Portugal that's been around a lot longer in the, in the, in the wine game, right? So it's interesting you said that they're not, um, some areas they don't really recognize what they have already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. It's, it's still very much like this here. And then there's another thing, which is not a Portuguese thing. I think it's more a European problem. We all drink our own stuff. So Portuguese people drink Portuguese wine. French people drink French wine. Italian people drink Italian wines. They're like in Portugal, good luck trying to find something that is not Portuguese. Like it's, it's just impossible. It doesn't happen. And that, that's also an issue, actually. You've got that cool little wine bar going in, in Porto. That's, uh, it must be fun. I mean, it's a small little, but it's from what I've seen. And I cannot wait to, we were supposed to go last summer, maybe this summer, who knows, <laughs> maybe the summer after, but uh, <laughs> pencil me in, pencil me in for some wine tasting down the road. Oh my God. I hope so. It's so funny how these nervous laughs are becoming more and more common. It's like every year we're like next spring in the summer, in the spring, next summer, in the summer, maybe next year. You know, it's, kind of, it's kind of like you're just kicking the can over down the road. Yeah, I hope I, I will all will be very happy to, to, to have you there. 
it's 99% uh, of people that stop there have no clue about wine. So whenever I have a wine geekier person that show up, I love it. That's when I open the bottle that I usually don't give it to the consumers. Uh, I, we, I, we can geek out a little bit. So it allows me to be a little bit more of a wine geek uh, when people show up. So definitely you have, you're going to have the door wide open whenever you come. But, cool. uh, but yeah, it's, it's a very small place. I can only sit six people at the time. Well, I could do eight, uh, but eight, it's a little bit too tight already. So six is actually the perfect spot. And yeah, it's literally just one table. That, that's pretty much what it is. Um, I only do wine tastings. That's, there's nothing else. So you can't walk in and just eat and drink. That's not the concept. Uh, I only work through reservation, um, but it's, it's been a long road. Um, it took me, which I know it's going to be, it's going to sound quick, crazy fast, but the first six months I was a little bit lost in the middle of the ocean. It started as a wine bar. I remember when I opened it, I was like, oh my God, most wine bars in Porto are doing something wrong, which they still are. They don't have enough wine by the glass. They, it's not a wine bar. It's, it's more like a small tapas place. It's not really a wine bar. Um, so when I opened, I remember I had 27 different wines by the glass, of which nine sparkling. And after two weeks, I was like, no, it's not gonna work. Like, this, is not, <laughs> this is not gonna work. Well, to be fair and give a little bit of background, I opened the business in November. And um, December to February just pours rain all the time in Portugal. It's just like never come to Portugal like end of November to February because you can be either extremely lucky where you get the clear blue sky in the middle of December or you just get straight rain. It's been raining since the 19th of January and it's going to rain until the 4th. Straight, okay? No stop. Yeah. Just rain all the time. Dude, so, uh, I, live, I mean, I'm in Vancouver, so I'm, I'm well, well aware of months of rain. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we are a little bit more spoiled i mean we have 300 days of sun so for us when the rain comes up it's like ah rain yeah. <laughs> we're quite spoiled but so yeah i was like oh my god of course no one is walking down the street it gets this rain so that's where i was like wow i have to make people come here i can't wait for people to just walk down the road and look inside and be like oh that looks nice let's go in i have to make them come in so the truth is that the wine tasting came up as a gateway to have people to stay. So usually, first, I only had one wine tasting at 5.30 that lasted for, for an hour with the goal that then at 6.30, 6.30, people are like, hey, he's so cool. The wines are good. The food is organic in his farm. You know what? Let's just stick around. That was the goal. And then I started to see that tastings it's it's a good business man mm. it's like it, it's the, the margins are great and it's not as much a service kind of job it's more a connecting kind of job because when people were there i mean you have a couple that walks in you serve them the wine you give them the food i mean you can chat them up a little bit but then they want to be on their own they want to be they want to talk amongst themselves. They don't want the guy to be there like, hey, what's up? So I was like, wait, the tasting allows me to be like, hey, what's up? I, I, will, I, I would teach them all about the wine. We would do some food pairing and then we would just enjoy the wine and the food all together. And during that wine and food all together, like, hey, what's up? Where are you from? What do you do? Like all those things. And I was like, wow, I love wine tastings way more. First of all, it allows me to create, to create a, a calendar based on my schedule. 
because because of the WSET, so I'm still finishing the level four. My last exam was supposed to be in May, which again has been postponed every so often. Now it's supposed to be in May, which I'm already thinking it might not be again, but whatever. And, um, and I was like, wow, I want to do tastings. It's, it's amazing. Margins are great. I can manage my calendar way better. Uh, I can select like four or five hours where I work intensely and then I don't do it anymore. I can plan my day better. So that's basically how it came up. But at the beginning, it, was, it wasn't the, the idea. I just launched the tastings and it, and it stick. And, and, and it's amazing. It's amazing. If you like to chat to your customers, it's way better than just dropping them the food and the wine and be like, hey, enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you had some experience before with, uh, with a couple of the other hotels and, and different, um, different parts of the world that you were, you were in. You were, I mean, like myself, I mean, I, I, lived, I lived overseas for, for a while as well. So it's always interesting to see what different wine experiences are like and the wine scenes of different, uh, different countries and stuff. Right. So, I mean, you've, you've, uh, you've been, you've been around, you've, you've hit, uh, you've, you've hit a few different uh, continents. Yeah, it was, it was, it was funny because actually, so when I started, so I remember I finished hotel school and at the time my goal was to be the best director of FNB ever. So my goal since the beginning was, okay, you're going to work for as many hotels as you can so that you see different management styles and you're going to try to move as much as you can within the food and beverage um, department. So I was blessed enough to have my very first internship in a, at the time, two Michelin star, now three Michelin star restaurant in the south of France. And from that moment onwards, it was really easy to get a job, which to be fair for me made no sense because obviously it was my first internship. So my job was rough, fetch this, get that, clean this, iron this, vacuum there. So it was much more like, it, it was, it, it, I was like, why did people value me so much when my job was extremely basic? Mm. And along the line, I started to realize it was more about, they knew that I would have that, the, the posture, the, the responsibility and all that stuff. But the truth is that from there, it was really easy to get a new job. So then from there, I went to the Ritz-Carlton in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, I was at the pool bar there. Then from there, I went to the Kempinski in Malta. It was a management traineeship. Then from there, I went to the Rosewood in London, which I started as an in-room dining server. And then I moved on as a chef de rang um, at um, the, the brasserie. Mm. And then I opened the Ritz-Carlton in Geneva, where I was again a chef de rang. And then at that time, I was like, no, you know what? I want to come back home. But funny enough, I never worked around wine when I was in luxury hospitality. That's actually how I discovered my love for wine. While I was in London, I was like, hey, I was never a sommelier. Let's get a sommelier job because I don't know how, how, that's, how it's managed. Because somehow the sommelier team is somehow its own individual team within the restaurant team. Even though it's all together, the sommelier team, it's kind of on its own. So I was like, hey, I want to try it. And for the first time in my life, I was only getting no's at job applications. So I've, I've, been, I've been a little bit spoiled. Like everything I would apply for a job, I would kind of get it. And well, I, I was well-traveled. I've, I've, been, I've been fluent in four languages since I'm 17. So it was quite easy for me to get a job. And for once, I'm like, what the hell is going on? No one is taking me, even as a junior sommelier, just again, fetch this bottle, go get that, do inventory, like very basic stuff. 
And that's where I realized that in London, for you to work in the wine team, you had to have the WSET school. And that's where I was like, what the hell is the WSET? Like, what is it? So I Googled it. I was like, okay, it's, it looks like it's a pretty decent wine school. And oh, look, I'm in London. So you know what? I'll do level one just to check if I like, because it's quite expensive, as you know. And I was like, you know what? I'll do level one. And if I like it, I'll, I'll, I'll make the investment. And I did level one. And I still remember the moment I have a Syrah in my hand next to a Pinot Noir. I smell one. I smell the other. I taste one. I taste the other. I'm like, wait. This is way more than just fermented grape juice. This is actually extremely complex. I want to know more about this stuff. And from that, uh, at the end of level one, I, that afternoon, I signed up for level three. I finished level three before leaving London. And then I went to, to, to Switzerland. I opened the Ritz Carlton in Geneva. And, um, and, I already, and that's when I started to do level four, which again, I'm, I'm still finishing. But that, that's how the wine truth is. Even though we have vineyards in our family since forever, I've never, I was never really interested around wine. And it was that click of like, wow. So, and then from that moment onwards, I was like, you know what? It, it, was, it was both the same thing. I discovered my love for wine and I was tired of the luxury hospitality. It wasn't my definition of luxury hospitality. For me, it's more love. For me, a hug is luxury, not a marble table and I'm gonna charge you twice more just because of that. And so I was like, you know what? Let's open my little wine bar. And since then, well, it's history. Yeah, that's pretty much, it's pretty much how, it, how it happened. I, I like that because um, when, when I was living in Abu Dhabi, uh, I ended up working for the Holiday Inn, which over there, it's a four star because, you know, it's got the valet and it's got the bellman, it's got the whole, you have to have all that to compete with, with all the other, uh, all the other hotels. But then it had that, it had the, the branding and it had the, the culture, right? It had that Holiday Inn culture where it's welcoming, it's, you know, you're, you know, greeting your guests by name and, and all that kind of inclusiveness that kind of brand wants so it was kind of a it was a it was a different it's definitely an interesting mix i love that living overseas and just those kind of those kind of unique jobs and and having those unique experiences in different countries like that it's something that i always value about uh about just life experience right and and some people you know they don't even get out of their out of their hometown right and uh, just be able to do that and and travel and, and see things that others don't yeah, definitely. Yeah, it creates, it gives you, the, the experiences you get are, are, really, are really good, no doubt. Just, just the fact of seeing how their cultures manage the client. I loved to see the American way of doing things, which was my first American experience. Um, I, I, lo I loved all those details and definitely, like we say in Portugal, you add one egg in your basket from here, another one from there, and then you got a pretty decent basket. Let's talk Portuguese wine for a little bit. Is there something for you that kind of ticks all those boxes? Is there something for you that, is there a grape for you out of Portugal that, uh, that ticks a lot of boxes? I mean, first of all, I guess you're more a red guy than a white guy or, or? Oh, actually I like both. Well, to be fair, and this might get a little bit geeky, but my absolute favorite kind of wines, it's white wines that 
aged on the lees with some batonage on it. So obviously champagne is something I love, but actually we grow exclusively Albarino here. So we only make white wine actually here at home. And obviously it spends quite some time on the lees because that's the kind of wines I love. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say uh, lees aging white wines and higher tannin red wines are usually what I go to. Um, although there's absolutely nothing wrong with a great Grenache and there's absolutely nothing wrong with a good German Riesling. Mm. So even though I go a little bit outside of that box, uh, that's usually what I like the most. In Portugal... Sorry, I was, I, I was going to say in Portugal, I love the with the whites, minerality and some of that salinity from getting that ocean air and that some of that white wine, you can just taste it, just taste that ocean air, right? Yeah, in some of them, you can literally feel kind of like the salty thing of it. Definitely. I, we, you also feel that a lot, by the way, obviously being by the border with Spain, I taste a lot of Albarinos from Spain, and they have actually wine regions much closer to the ocean than we do when it comes to Albarino. So when I taste their Albarinos, their Albarinos is really kind of like salty and things. And I'm like, wow, that's, you can almost feel the oyster here already. It's kind of like it's asking for it. But, but for, for Portuguese, to come back to your question, for me, what Portuguese, the wine industry, overall speaking, ticks most of the boxes or almost every box is we still use wine as a sharing love occasion. So, for example, one thing that I was very sad about was how wine is a status in the United States, for example, instead of a like a culture or, I mean, just take it easy. And in Portugal, I still like that we were still very primal when it comes to, hey, come to my home, taste my wine. Hey, it might not be the best thing in the world, but hey, I did it with the much love as, I, as much love as I could. So that's what I like the most. We, we, for us, wine, it's still a social sharing love kind of occasion tool, not as much as a premium or a status or kind of thing which somehow it's also bad and that's because of it that i believe that that in the wine world or in the wine industry at all as a whole portugal is not a country where people would spend 50 60 or 70 dollars in because they already created that image cheaper friendly love sharing kind of thing and so when it comes time to spend 50, 60, $70, they think Italian, they think friend, they think something else. And so it's a double-edged sword, but for the kind of person that I am, I love it because that's actually what I love the most. Because for me, if you're showing me love with a 300 euro bottle of wine that should be 600 euros, I'm gonna love you even more. So, but, <laughs> so that's, what I think that, that's what I think that Portugal has the best. We're still honest, even in our tourism overall, we're still very primal and loving, and I love that. And that's something that you start, that you see that in the wine world doesn't exist as much. Um, it's, it's in somehow too much of a business for my, for my, for my taste. And, and I think, I, um, I know um, Australia had that same image problem as well, where they were considered kind of cheap and cheerful, and a lot of their wines were in that under $20 kind of category, and then they started to same thing. They started to try and expand their, you know, especially their reds. And all of a sudden now they're asking people to pay 50, 60 for a bottle, right? It's the same kind of image problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it takes time. I think just like them, we'll get there. We are slowly getting there already. So even for Portuguese people, which might sound ridiculous for you and everyone that might listen to this, 
But um, I mean, Portugal, for you to have an average consumer spend more than 10 euros in a bottle, you need to justify that. Like most people here, here you go to, to, you go to the supermarket and you buy wines for anywhere from four to seven euros that would very easily be like $20 in the US, 25, 30 in Canada. And, um, and, and so we're a little bit spoiled when it comes to this. So you really need to justify 10 euros or, or, plus or more uh, for your wine. But it's slowly getting there. We're slowly moving away from a uh, drink a lot cheap to drink less better kind of generation. But obviously, this is something that takes time. It takes a long time, definitely. I brought up the uh, I brought up the bottle what I'm drinking there. Oh, there you go, Vinya the Fosh. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. How so, much? Yeah, I think it's, how much did you? How much did I pay? Yeah. Uh, I want to say 26 Canadian. Man, Canada is something, man. Oh, dude, the tax. Yeah. Uh -huh. The tax. It kills us. <laughs> yeah, it's so tough. It, oh. It's tough. It's really tough. Especially, I mean, and province by province, it, it changes. And, and BC is one, one of the worst ones. Um, we've got a, there was a wine club that we belong to, um, that my brother-in-law, uh, who's in, in Alberta is also in. And so sometimes we order through him because it's 30% less. It's still taxed to death, but it's 30% less than, than us. So if it's a bottle that's for me would be maybe 35 a bottle. And for him, it's say 27, 28 a bottle. Okay. Then maybe I'll. Maybe I'll buy it because I'm buying it through him. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Taxes are crazy up there. And that and that that goes back to what we were talking about earlier about finding that value and and people who you have to justify charging more than 10, 12 euros a bottle. And it has to be something truly special for for someone to to pick it up, right? Definitely. Here, here and in Portugal, you could say that for the national market, you probably have like half a dozen bottles that are the ones that most people drink the most. Uh, so actually, even the, the, the cheaper end in the market is very much around those half a dozen brands. That's usually what people go to. So there's like half a dozen whites, half a dozen reds. Usually that's what people buy whenever they go and they stick to that forever. So even without having to ask, even without asking them to spend more, just to tell them like, hey, instead of buying this today, buy this, same amount of money, same wine region, same grapes, just for you to expose yourself to something different, people are quite reluctant. Mm. So it, it's tough in Portugal if you're asking them to change their habits and on top of it, pay more than what they usually, they're usually used to. And somehow it makes sense because I mean, our national, the minimum wage here is 650 euros. So, I mean, obviously you can't afford to spend more than 10 euros on a bottle of wine. It's money. It's a lot of money if you make 650 euros at the end of the month. So it kind of makes sense that overall and broadly speaking, but thankfully at least the people that have some more disposable income, they are starting to say, hey, you know what? Instead of drinking every day this three euro thing, I'll drink at the end of the week one thing for 15 euros and I'll be happier. 
and it's it's slowly moving. But like we said previously, it's gonna take time. It's gonna take time, no doubt. Well, and that, and that's um, and I know it's probably less expensive as well, being so close to the ocean. But I was just thinking about wine and food pairings, where you know things for us, oysters and mussels and and that kind of stuff. It may be a little more expensive for us here, whereas you know it goes so well with with wine that um, that's a great food pairing for for uh, for Portuguese wines, and might be a little less expensive for for seafood. Oh, definitely, definitely. Especially if you compare it to Canada or any other better economically speaking kind of country. Uh, well, again, it's not the kind of person that can't afford to spend more than five euros on a bottle that is gonna, usually going to have some lobster and prawns. Um, but, but but yeah, de- de- definitely here, um, if you have, again, a little bit more disposable income, you can have a feast for ridiculous ridiculous price to be fair it's it's insane you can have a proper seafood great lobsters great prawns great crab whatever you wish with a great white wine and then it's time to pay and you do the math and it's like 30 euros per head and you're like what what is going on here and you're like yeah welcome to portugal so if you have the means it's definitely yeah and, and it makes sense and there's a reason why people like to retire to portugal and it's becoming more and more trendy and that's why people like to buy our visa gold kind of thing uh to be able to retire here and that's because if you have the means portugal is amazing yeah. the weather is great people are really honest and kind violence here is almost under control like it's not a country where Obviously, if you're in a city, you have some corners to avoid, but overall speaking, it's great. And so food, wine, good weather, I mean, what else? What else exactly, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, if you have some nice weather, some nice wine and some great food, that's all you need and some good company, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I think that's why I like those those online um you know, online chats that you guys have been doing because people are having dinner and they've got some wine and everyone's having a great chat. And then picking different regions as well has been fun as well. So, you know, kind of every week picking a different different area to talk about because uh, so many people have so many questions and you guys are really great at just being honest and answering answering those kind of basic questions, right, that people are pulling out about Bordeaux or, or the Rhone or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it all came down somehow a little bit. So, so it... Again, it was the social side of it, but then it was like, okay, hey, let's try to develop people's palates. And, and to be fair, is through a weekly session where you would cover, for example, most of France, most of Italy, and most of Spain, you would probably cover almost every grape variety they would probably have heard of. Uh, so so it, it was a mix of both. We also co- came up with, a, with the Develop Your Palate uh, wine list. So when people, even when they're buying for their regular day without for being of our, of our session, there's a recommended list for them to expose. So yeah, it was a healthy balance of let's expose them to the world because, and especially in mo- most of our clients, of our customers are from the North America side. And uh, so it's, it's very much a consumer that they drink one or two grapes and that's pretty much it. They are very narrow, usually speaking. They drink cab all the time. They drink zin all the time. They drink pinot all the time. So we're like, hey, you know what? Let's make a healthy balance of both. Let's develop their palate. Let's be social. Let's make it as cool as possible, non-stiff at all. And then here's what I think is the secret that almost everyone should do for any wine tasting you might be doing. 
most of the session is Q&A. That's the best. Tell them in a bullet point straightforward what's the most important thing about each, about each wine region. And from that moment onwards, let them ask. Because if there's one big mistake and one big issue of the wine industry as a whole, as a whole to now, uh, for now, in my opinion, and somehow Nicole's opinion, because we kind of agreed on that when we launched the concept, was do you really think the consumer goes to Napa on a sunny day, beautiful view, two of their best friends, great wines, do you really think they care about the kind of soil you have in some kind of corner of your vineyard? I mean, we can, we can come up with all kinds of excuses. They don't really. So, so here it was much more, let's try to teach them how to walk first and then let's make them run. Mm. And, and so far it's been really nice. Uh, but again, it's not hard to sell out when you have only 10 spots. So there's no much point here in bragging that we're selling out all the time. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that would be a valid thing. But again, we're charging just to charge something. Uh, from the beginning, we said that the, 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 the amount was going to be something very symbolic. So we said, like, yeah, you know what, let's put it at 10 bucks and that's it. And, um, and yeah, the, the, that's the whole concept. I'm glad, I'm glad you, I met you through that. Uh, because it, it, that was the whole point that we wanted to create. Something relaxing, non-snobby, easygoing, ask questions. There's no such, such thing as a stupid question. Go for it and let's enjoy. Well, and, and the thing about, about uh, a small charge as well is that it forces people to commit and, and not just blow off. There's different wine classes and different things online where people may be, oh, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go in, I'll jump in or I'll reserve or whatever. And then they blow it off or whatever. You got to have that for for your time as well. Like you, you guys are, sp- are spending time and energy, um, so it it allows people to commit a little bit more. That they put a little bit of money in. It it focuses them to attend and and um, and get something out of it, but also commit right because no one wants at the end of the day. You don't want to be sitting there waiting for you expect 10, 15, 20 people and and then no one comes because you've uh, you know. You've, you haven't charged anything, so no one, no one shows up, right? So there's got to be that, that balance between consumer and, and the person that's, um, that's providing it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. It was, it, it was, we, we thought it was the, the, the amount that was cheap enough for people to want to do it every week and uh, for people to be able to afford to do it every week. And then from that moment onwards, people choose how much they want to spend on their wine. Some people go fancier than others, and that's absolutely their choice. And at the end of the day, it doesn't influence what we want to pass on to people so they can have whatever they want. But, but like you said, actually, to be fair, I don't think we ever mentioned that with Nico. We never mentioned, hey, let's charge to make sure people actually show up. We, 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 never, we never really considered that. It was more, let's charge to get something out of our time. Again, it's just going to be an extra box at the end of the, at the, end of the month. It's not going to be a significant amount. Uh, but it was more to, to yeah, to, to like, hey, let's charge something just so not to do something free. As well, because there, there, there's a psychological thing around people's way of thinking of, oh, it's free. It's probably not as great. So, for example... It's amazing how when I do my wine tastings for my friends and family, they couldn't care less, man. (laughs) (laughs) They they couldn't care less. They, oh my God, they're like, yeah, whatever. I, well, yeah, all right. Whatever, Raph. Yeah, shut up and pour us some wine, yeah. And then I'm like, look at these guys, man. 
I, I'm blessed to have clients such as Netflix, Google, Salesforce. They pay hundreds and hundreds of euros per hour to have this session. They love it. And these guys, they don't appreciate it because, like you said, it was, it's free. So it was, a little, it was a little bit as well that, that psychology of like, wait, if it's free, maybe it's not great. I don't think we ever considered people would book and then not show up. I, th I think people have some kind of um, responsibility and some kind of like... Um, our responsibility was not the good word, but they're mindful that they're taking someone's spot and then it's not cool to not show up. So, but yeah, we thought it was the perfect amount for, because for us, the goal is actually since the beginning, we're like, can we make people to sign up every single week? Could we have, if possible, 10 people that sign up at the beginning and they sign up every week from there? So obviously that didn't happen, but I think that now in every session, six out of 10, are people that are repeating. And so we're really happy about it because that was the whole concept. Let's create a little group, a little wine fam that we're gonna teach them stuff, but let's make sure we can have as many people as possible that come more, uh, almost every week or every week is, if possible, because over, over time, week after week, we're gonna create that little friendship, which again ties up to, we miss the social side of our job. And that, that was the whole point of it. And that's, again, that's why at the end of the day, when I, when I finally get to uh, hang out at your wine bar in, in Porto, uh, it'll be the social side, right? It's, it's as much fun as it is to learn, learn about wine. It's, it's that social experience as well, right? It's amazing. Like even in Porto, it's not a very, it's not a very different format from what I'm doing here. Um, basically people show up, they have three whites, three reds, depending on the package they choose. We taste the wines, I teach them a few things, we do some food pairing, and then we just chat, like, like we would be friends. And in my opinion, that's what saved me now during COVID. Because when, when I launched online, and the first time I posted on Instagram, like, hey guys, if I would do online wine tastings, and the first time I did it for free. So the first lockdown in March, it was actually for free. It was like, hey guys, we're all going nuts at home, lockdown, Let's do like some wine tasting together. So just so that we forget the crazy world. And it was actually for free at the beginning and 73 people signed up overnight. And I was like, wow, that, that's, that's, that's some, that's a good amount of people. And then I was like, wait, I'm pretty sure people wouldn't mind paying 10 or 15 or $20 for this uh, at least once a week or at least for, an, for a corporate event or at least for a birthday party because people live in different states or in different countries so they wanna, they wanna still enjoy the, the event together and, and it took off. And I don't think I would be able to have the kind of business I have now online if I wouldn't be friend of every single person that ever came there. Because that last half an hour, we just share food and talk and then we eventually go out for dinner and cocktails, depending on my availability, creates a bond that is just insane. And that's why I was like, wow, there's a, there's a unique selling point here. There's something pretty unique. When you usually go to a wine tasting, they're too stiff, too snobby. They talk about things that don't matter to the average consumer. And on top of it, it's too much business driven. I was like, wow, there's an opportunity here for me. And thankfully, it's been amazing. Thanks, Raf. I think we'll leave it there for now. Yeah, no worries. And uh, yeah, anytime you wish. We're very, very excited to welcome you to Porto and share, share some wine with, and food with you. 
because definitely, I think after this COVID thing, half of the world is jobless and the other half is crazy. So um, I, I will be very, I will be very, very thrilled the moment I open the door. I'll be like, yeah, give me a hug, man. And, and we're just going to share wine and food. I'm, I'm going to love that day. I think we're going to leave it there for now. Thanks for listening. For more wine conversation and podcast updates, you can follow us on Instagram at Ian's Wine Truths. Check out our website for great photos of our guests friendsofthevine.podbean.com Take care. Have a blast for me.